be done. Well, returning, please, to the book of Hebrews and to the chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 1 of the chapter. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Jesus, or Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after, but Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some when they had heard did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned? whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to our hearts. Let's just unite again in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for the fact that thou hast made a rest, an eternal rest for thy people. And we thank thee that through Christ we enter into that rest. And we thank thee for the fact that we have rest here, rest of conscience. Uh, we thank thee for the day of rest that is mentioned in the next chapter. We thank thee that there still remains uh, a keeping of Sabbath to the people of God. And we thank thee, Lord, for that fact that is highlighted there in the next chapter. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst continue to bless and be with us as we gather around thy word today. Be with each one and speak to our hearts and encourage us even as we seek to serve thee day by day. For it is in Jesus' precious name that we ask all these things. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to think about verse 1 particularly here, and we'll refer to the rest of the portion. But it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, 
Consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Christ Jesus. And we think of how the text of Scripture calls upon us to direct our minds and our consideration to the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, there's no better subject that we can consider than our Savior. In life, there are many things that call for our attention, our family, our jobs, our welfare, or um, things that come to our attention from time to time. But uh, the things are needful. Those things maybe are important to us. But the most important thing, as far as eternity is concerned, is our consideration of Christ. And not only are there many things that are um, vital for our consideration, but then there are many things that would attract our consideration. You think of the adverts and the uh, uh, commercials that are upon the TV or the radio or the internet in these days or in the paper or whatever it is, and we're bombarded with information about products and about services, and people want uh, to consider those things. And we have many things to consider. But here we are told and exhorted to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. And what better thing could we do today? Remember the context of the book of Hebrews here. You think of these Hebrew Christians, and the uh, uh, apostle here is writing to them, and he wants to encourage them. Many of them have been spoken to or begin, began to consider the old religion of Judaism. They had been brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, but now they are thinking about the uh, beauty of the ceremonies and the feasts of Judaism. They're thinking about the beauty of the high priest's garments. They're thinking about the splendor of the old Jewish religion, and it seems evidently that some of them were being attracted back to the old ways and to the old path. They were thinking about the simplicity of the new religion, and it was simple. There was only the centrality of the Word of God and the preaching of the Word. And compared to the old ceremonies and the beauty of the high priest's garments and the feasts and the things, this was so ordinary to them. And when they had got into the Christian religion for a little while, they began to think about the splendors and the beauties of the ceremonies that they had left. And so this epistle is written to these people in order to show them the uh, uh, superiority of the Christian religion and so that these people would not be discouraged and go back. And we think of this context of these people being discouraged and being tempted back into their old ways and back into their old paths, into the paths of backsliding. And in many ways, we need to be encouraged today. We live in a day where the Christian religion is being undermined, where it is being uh, thought of as being uh, something that is uh, immoral and something that we should abandon and that's something of superstition. And that's the way that has been presented to us. There are many preachers who go out into the open air and they're being arrested because they are standing for the old-fashioned Christian values, and there is that pressure upon Christianity today. And in that context, 
there are many people that are being discouraged. And they want to go back to the old ways, to the old paths of sin, back to the old secular religion, or even the pagan religions of today. But what is the antidote to that? What is the answer to that? Well, it is the consideration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we see him in all his beauty, and you would think that as Christians, we would always be contemplating Christ. But that's not the case. You know it, and I know it, that there are so many things that attract our attention today that we're not always contemplating the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, the devil would come and seek to drive those things out of our minds. So when the uh, uh, apostle here exhorts us, there he says that we should consider the priest and uh, the apostle, the high priest of our profession. It is something that he needs to exhort us to do. But I want us to encourage our hearts today as we think about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in this portion of Scripture. And first of all, I want us to think about the sufficiency of Christ. Now, there are two things, re- really, that we need in our hearts. We, we need food. We, we need uh, the physical things. We need to be sustained day by day. But I'm thinking about our spiritual needs. And what we really need in a spiritual way is first of all to hear from God and then we need to go to God. We need to hear the voice of God. We need to hear a word from God and then we need a way to God. And you see, men, women, we need to hold communion with God. We were made to hold communion with God. That's what God did when he put man into the Garden of Eden. He came down in the cool of the day to hold communion with God. And we are made And there still exists within our hearts, even though it has been marred by sin, and though it is covered over, and most people really don't understand the need of their heart, there is still deep down in our hearts that realization that we need to hold communion with God. And so the two things that we need is a revelation from God, and then we need reconciliation to God. Now, when you see how Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 uh, shows us that the Lord Jesus Christ fulfills those needs. He says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Jesus Christ. So first of all, you'll see that there's a call from God. He says that we are partakers of a heavenly calling. And if it's a heavenly calling then it is a a call from heaven. This is the voice of God speaking to us from heaven, from the celestial regions. We have God coming through his word to speak to us. And thank God for the Bible. We bless God for the word that he has given, the infallible word of God, the invitation that is given, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And thank God today, We have a word from God. It's contained in this book. But not only do we have a call from God, but we have a call to God. He speaks here of uh, him being the apostle and high priest of your profession. So there's not only a call from heaven, but there's a call to go to heaven. We need a high priest to bring us nigh to God. We need a high priest to draw us into his presence. 
And that's what the Lord is doing. He gives us those that are saved heavenly citizenship. We are drawn from the very mire and pit of sin. And we're brought to that place where we have that heavenly citizenship. And we walk with him. And we are given a new destination. And we're given a new position. He says, holy brethren. Not only are we set on the road to live that leads to heaven. But he takes these hearts that are mired by sin. And he takes those hearts that are uh, filthy with iniquity. And he makes us holy. He cleanses us in his own precious blood. And he says, holy brethren. There is none righteous, no, not one. And yet the Lord takes our hearts and makes us holy. And not only does he make us holy, but he makes us brethren. We're brought into the family of God. We are adopted in. We are made heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And my, what a wonderful thing. The Lord transforms his people. And he's done that for you if you're saved today. You have a heavenly calling. You have a holy calling. And thank God you have a harmonious calling because you're made part of that family of God. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is that we have such a Savior. But not only do we have the call of God, but there's the character of God. It says here, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Jesus Christ. The word apostle there just means one that was sent. And Moses was sent. He was sent in the uh, thought of being sent from heaven to do a work. And that's the way that the Lord Jesus came. He came to do a work. He was an apostle. But then he is our high priest. He's our intermediary. He's the one who stands on our behalf. He is the one who has entered into heaven to plead our cause. My, I want you just to think about that, dear Christian. Think about what our Savior has done. He came. He left the splendors of, of, of uh, glory. He came and gave himself up to this life and all of the uh, different facets of it. And he died on the cross. And now he's in heaven interceding on your behalf and mine. Oh, what love, what boundless love. The love of God to me that brought my Savior from above to die on Calvary. So we see something of the sufficiency of Christ. He is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. He's able to meet your need. He's able to answer the difficulties. And he's able to answer all of the pressures that are upon you. The propaganda of the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient today, and we lead upon him. But not only do I want you to see the sufficiency of Christ, but I want you to see the superiority of Christ. You notice uh, how the portion of Scripture goes on here. He speaks about considering the apostle and high priest of our calling. But then look at what it says in verse 3. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. So he goes on then, and he speaks about Moses. Now Moses, of course, is a dominant figure in Israel's history, and still is to this day. He is the one who is called the man of God and the servant of the Lord. 
He is mentioned more than 767 times in the Old Testament, making him one of the most prominent people in the Old Testament. Only David is mentioned more than Moses. Abram is counted to be Israel's ancestor, but Moses really is considered to be the founder of the nation. And you think about the many things. He is counted to be the lawgiver. He didn't make the law, but he brought the law from Mount Sinai. And you think about the terrifying display of power as the Lord came down in the thundering and in the lightning and in the cloud upon the mount. And you go to what is thought to be Mount Sinai today, and there's still the black top of the mountain where uh, that, that, that is still black right to this day. And you think of how Moses went up there, right up onto the mountain. And not Sinai that usually in Egypt the people go to, but uh, what I think perhaps is Sinai is still black today to this day. And they have the split rock that uh, has evidence of water coming from it uh, that is still there to this day. And uh, the markings that show that uh, Hebrew people had been there uh, is still there to this day. Well, actually, somebody tried to knock them off when they were discovered and have been destroyed, some of them. But they are still there to this day, most of them. And you think of Moses went up onto that mountain, and he was there with God, and he was the lawgiver. And you think of him as the writer of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. What a mighty man Moses was. But my here is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is spoken of as greater than Moses. We think of how uh, this man, it says, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. It it says that Moses was faithful in all his house. He he was a man who was uh, uh, given honor. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is counted worthy of more honor than Moses. Moses was great. The Lord Jesus Christ is infinitely greater. And why is he greater? Well, he's greater in his position. You think of how he is described here as the apostle and high priest. Now, Moses was the apostle. He was sent of God to be the deliverer of Israel and to be the lawgiver and all the rest. But the Lord Jesus Christ not only was the apostle, but he was the high priest. Moses wasn't the high priest. Aaron, his brother, was the high priest. But this man is just not only the one sent by God, and he is the prophet of God, as Moses was, but he is the great high priest as well. And thank God for the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that can ask or think, the one who is able to present our needs to heaven itself. And we thank God that this man after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Not only is he greater in his uh, position, but he's greater in his performance. Look at verses 2 to 4 of Hebrews 3. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house, and every house is builded by some man, 
but he that built all things is God. So Moses was faithful in building the house. Moses was faithful in bringing the children of Israel into the land of promise. He was faithful in giving the law of God. He was faithful in writing the books of the Bible in which the law of God was given. But the one who he was serving is the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was faithful in his house, but the one who built the house is the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has given the house is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we think of how the Lord is described as the author and finisher of our faith. The Bible says in Colossians 1, verses 17 and 18, And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So he is the one who's the author and finisher. He's the one by whom all things consist. And he's greater than Moses. He's greater than the great lawgiver. And he's greater in his performance. And we think of that performance there on the cross of Calvary, where he bled and died in our room and in our stead. And then he is greater than Moses in his person. Look again at verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 3. It says, And Moses was verily faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. And I want you to see there the difference. Moses is the servant of the house. Christ is the son of the house. And he is greater because he's not the servant. He's the son. He's the one who is the master, as it were. And in John chapter 8, verse 35, there's a mention of the difference between a servant and a son. It says, And a servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. In other words, the servant is temporary, the son is permanent. And that's the substantial difference between Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses brought in the types and the ceremonies and the sacrifices and the feasts and all the things and the tabernacle and all of the ceremony of the tabernacle and later the temple. And these things were temporary. But the Lord Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all the times, and he is permanent. As I said in Hebrews 10 and 12, this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So we can rejoice today that what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ is never going to come to an end. The religions of this world will come to an end. The founders of the religions of this world died and came to an end. But the Lord Jesus Christ liveth ever as our great high priest. And what he has done and what he is doing will never come to an end. It abideth ever. And therefore, dear friend, this is the difference between Christianity and every other religion. Buddha has perished. Muhammad has perished. All of the other founders of religion have perished, but the Lord Jesus Christ 
He is the living Savior. And that is proved by his resurrection, that up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. So we see something here of the uh, uh, superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then I want you to see something else. He is uh, considered in the steady faithfulness of his person. We think of his uh, sufficiency. We think of his superiority. But then I want you to think about his steady faithfulness here. Look at what it says if you look at verse 2. We are to consider the high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to elaborate what we're to consider. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. And the word faithful there is a word that objectively means objectively trustworthy. In other words, he was going to do what he said. He wasn't going to let his father down. He was going to do the work that was set for him to do. And we think of how he often said that. I come to do the works of my father. And the works of my father, he said, I will do. And what were the works that he had come to do? To save and to seek that which was lost. And we think of how it says there, the reference really is the reference to Numbers 12, verse 7, where it says, My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. So Moses faithfully built up the house of Israel. But the Lord Jesus Christ is going to faithfully build up his church. He's going to build up his church. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And we think of that, his church is going to happen. He's going to bring his people to himself. He's going to, uh, he's going to deal with the state of this world. He's going to deal with the sins that beset. He's going to deal with these things, and he is dealing with these things. And when he comes again, he will deal with all of these things. You know, we look at the world today, and it would seem as times as if the devil's winning. The uh, enemies of Christ are winning. The church is in a place where it doesn't have much influence, and where the influence of the church can be ignored. But I want you to see today, when we look at Christ, we look at the one who is the victor. We want look at the one who's coming again in power and in great glory. And we think of our Lord's ultimate victory over Satan. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise took part in the same, that through death... He might destroy him that hath the power of death. That is the devil. The devil's not on the victory side. And the uh, antidote and the cure for despondency and despair and depression is that people, as God's people, we look to Christ. We see who he is. We see what he has done. And that the victory already has been won. Well, one more thing I want you to see as we consider the apostle and high priest of our calling today, and that's the summons of Christ. Look at verses 7 to 9 of the portion of Scripture. He says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, 
Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. And there's the summons that he gives. And you notice the alarm they, we are to hear. Here's the call of the Holy Spirit. And he's warning. And he's given us a warning. And the warning has been sounded here. And we are to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to them, do not fall into the same hour or the, the same error as the people in the wilderness who didn't listen to the Lord. He said they had many reasons uh, to listen to the Lord, but they didn't hear and they foolishly rejected the voice of God and they got themselves into trouble. They rebelled, they disrespected God and they got themselves, the anger of God, the chastisement of God was upon them. And we think of the many times in the book of God where God's people did not listen to God and got themselves into all sorts of bother. We read in Jeremiah 25, verses 7 to 9, The Lord said to his people, Yet ye have not hearkened unto me. You didn't listen. You didn't listen to me, saith the Lord that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts. And you notice what they were doing. It was the works of their own hands. They thought that they could manufacture their way out of the problem. God said, you didn't listen to me. You're trying to do it by the works of your own hands. He says, because you've not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them, and make them an astonishment, and an hissing, and perpetual desolations. And because they did not listen, the chastisement, chastising hand of God was upon them. And isn't that maybe a, a little bit of an explanation? of the position that we find ourselves in today. The chastising hand of God is upon us because we don't listen. We haven't listened to God. We haven't taken heed to his word. Not only is there the alarm they were to hear, but the absurdity of their stance because they wouldn't listen in the face of the mighty works of God. God had brought them through the Red Sea. God had provided them water, from the rock, that split rock that can still be seen in, in Saudi Arabia with the, uh, in the middle of a desert where the, uh, there's evidence of water erosion on the rocks where an awful amount of water must have flowed. That incredible miracle of God. And they had seen all of that. And even in the face of seeing all of that, they still would not listen. You know, we look at what God has done for us and the mighty works that God has done for us and the amazing things and answers to prayer. And yet, in many ways, we still don't listen. Look at the after effects of their position. Look at verses 10 and 11. They do always err, he says, in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. And you remember what happened to the children of Israel that wouldn't listen to God. 
and weren't uh, willing to believe that God could bring them into the land. They wandered for 40 years, and they didn't enter into the rest that God had had for them. There was blessing there. There they were, tramping round the uh, borders of the land of Canaan, that land of milk and honey, and God had it for them, and God was going to provide it for them, and yet they didn't enter into the rest. And they tramped around the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't listen to God. And the um, lesson is clear. When you don't listen to God, then God can take away the rest. God can take away the blessing. God can uh, cause you to wander in a place, a wilderness experience, when you don't listen to God. That's why it is so important day by day to listen to God. But when we look to Christ, we see the summons that he gives, the words that he speaks, and they're words of wisdom and words of blessing. You know, Jesus Christ proved who he claimed to be. You know, we think of the poet who said the night has a thousand eyes, but the day has just one. And when the one light arises, then all of the other lights are put into oblivion. We can only see the one. And there are many lights that shine upon us in the darkness of this old world. And there are many lights that call for our attention. But when the Son of Righteousness is seen, he's the only one that is in our view. Not Confucius, not the prophet of Muhammad, not Buddha. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who is the one and only. And oh, that we might look to him today. He says in the portion of Scripture, consider the apostle and high priest of your profession, Jesus Christ. And he's the answer to all of our discouragement, all our anxiety, all our fears, if we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him, look to him for his grace, and thank God we have an answer to all of our problems. And may we find that in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Let's just bow in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts, and we'd ask thee that thou wouldst continue to bless thy word, and may we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Bless us now, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. I wonder if we could turn to the hymn number 58, please. Jesus, the name high over all, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly. We'll sing the first and the last verses of the hymn, and we'll stand to sing the hymn number 58.
that thou wast enable us to behold, behold the Lamb. Bless thy word to our hearts and separate us in thy fear. With thy blessing now take us to our homes in safety. For Jesus' sake, amen.